0: Your Bibles with you. We are going to be in First Samuel chapter fourteen. Uh, today's passage kind of reads like a a drama, um, wonderful uh, drama, like sort of like the Lord of the Rings or or something along that line, where you have you have good guys, you have bad guys, you have a, a great plot, and then you have the hero coming to save the day. And uh, I. Really enjoyed really reading it this week and, and studying it, so I hope you do too as well. First Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 23. It says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave in Migron, or Migron, Uh, The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrisons, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other was Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up to them, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. Excuse me. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. Killed them after him. And that first strike with Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about twenty men within, within as it were a half a feral's length in the acre of the land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the and in the field, and among all the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became very, a, great, a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing where here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, "'Count and see who has gone from us.' And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, "'Bring the ark of God here.' For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very, a very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hid themselves in the hill, in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Bethaven. All right. That is the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. So have you ever noticed in your own life that when there is uh, when there is chaos, when life is chaotic and we 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 tend to use that description sometimes because that's just the way life feels. It feels like things when something is chaotic, it feels like it's unorganized. It's it's hard to wrap your mind around it. uh, It's hard to figure it out and it's hard to accept it, right? That, that All those things go with something that is chaotic. It looks like there is no order in something. Um, have you ever noticed that the part of Lord, the Lord's mercy and grace for his people is that he brings order where there is chaos? Uh, in our own lives, the Lord has brought order where there is chaos. And a lot of times that chaos is caused by ourselves. We talked about last week how, how Saul was foolish, and that term foolish, how it basically how you interpret that term from a biblical worldview. A foolish person is not someone who is not intelligent, but a foolish person is someone who does not do the will of God, does not abide by the word of God. Someone who says in their hearts, there is no God. That is a foolish person. And so Saul was being a foolish person. He continues to do, you know, to be that person today. And we'll get there in a second. But a lot of times, um, the chaos in our lives is caused by our foolishness or the foolishness of somebody else. But within that, God gives us mercy and grace, and he brings order to that situation. Um, what's interesting is that he does not spare us from the chaos. Right? The Bible says that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, he has overcome the world. It does not say in this world you will have trouble, but don't worry. Right before that trouble comes, the Lord's going to save you from that. That would be nice, but that's just not the case. Uh, so we understand that we go through chaos, and he does not spare us from it, but he brings us relief while we are in it, and then ultimately he saves us from it. That's the hope that we have. I have a very small example of it, but but I think it goes well with what I'm talking about here. Um, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday. It was Monday. Monday was a very chaotic day as far as ministry uh, work went. And that's usually a, a day off of mine. I try to take that day off and it doesn't always happen. Um, you know, and whatever I, I try to be fluid with whatever the needs of the church are, whoever ha- else has needs. Uh, but it was a very chaotic day with my own personal life going and running errands, you know, studying, answering phone calls, answering texts, all kinds of different things like that. And so, uh, nighttime came and I had a brother in Christ coming over and we we're going to spend some time talking and we were in the back patio. And after this chaotic day, it was the calmest night of the year. It was awesome. The calmest and the quietest night of the year. And we both saw, we both recognized the quietness. I mean, you, so uh, Highway 59 is about maybe five or six miles away from our house. You could hear cars. That's how quiet it was. You could hear cars driving back and forth over there on Highway 59. And I just sat there, and it really just... It really just calmed my soul and calmed my heart. Even though there was this chaotic day, both this brother and I appreciated the quietness that was at that moment. And it's almost as if, the, you know, you hear that, the Bible verse about the, 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 the Lord's voice. You hear the Lord's voice in the quietness, right? Not in the storm, but in, in the quiet. That's the way I felt that night. It was just like the Lord was speaking to us through that, through that quietness. And it's like, I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. No matter how crazy things get, I'm steady. I'm steady, I'm present, and I'm never going to leave you. And it's amazing, it's amazing how how quietness can can do that to a person. How a quiet spirit, a quiet night, those kind of things can speak to a person because we need it because life is chaotic. I bring that up because... You know, that moment in time made me praise the Lord. It, it did. It made me praise the Lord. I was just thankful that the Lord brings order to chaos. And when we talk about our passage today, we see that the Lord brings order to chaos, but there's a purpose behind it. He's bringing order to chaos to bring himself glory. But then on the other side of it, he's bringing order to chaos so that we can benefit from it. His people, so that his people can benefit from it. So the, bring, the, the Lord brings order to chaos to bring glory to himself and for the spiritual betterment of his people. Now, if we're going to speak about chaos, the chapter we just read, or the first 23 verses of the chapter we just read, um, that's, pretty, that's a pretty chaotic scene there. Right? And it backs, if we back up to chapter 13, uh, that's where it kind of starts. The Israelites are stuck in a very chaotic situa- situation. Uh, as I said before, they are being led by a foolish leader this is a guy who does not is not concerned with the will of God. He's just concerned with himself and what he wants to do. And so by the biblical definition, he is a foolish leader, and he disobeys God. So they are being led by this foolish leader. Their kingdom is under attack by a powerful enemy. We see that in chapter 13 as well. The enemy is the Philistines. And most of the soldiers chosen to protect them, these soldiers were were, were hand-selected by King Saul, and most of them have scattered. They retreated, and they retreated so far that they even crossed the Jordan, right, back into the land where they were wandering. They were like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I don't want anything to do with God's promises, what God has given me. It's like I'm, I'm going back. So they were, they were retreating. They scattered, and only a few were left. And the few that are left they have no weapons they have no weapons they they have farming equipment to go and fight a battle as i said chaotic situation so panic ensues for the nation of israel but when we read first samuel chapter 14 verses 1 through 23 we still we see that they still have the lord they still have the lord what i described is the many of our lives It may not be that specific to where we're facing this arch enemy and, 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 you know, we're severely outnumbered. We have no weapons to fight, but our lives are full of chaos. And we have to remember, no matter how bad it gets, we still have the Lord. Have you ever lost everything that you thought you needed only to find out that the Lord was all that you truly needed? Yeah, I think we've all been there. I think that's why we're in Christ today. That's why we have faith in Christ. Sometimes we forget and the Lord has to remind us of that. But that's where Israel is in our passage today. See, today we are going to look at how the Lord saves Israel from a chaotic situation. And I want us to relate it to how the Lord saves us from the chaos in our lives. This, you know, one of the hard things about the Old Testament for people is that they, they have a hard time relating to the stories in it. You know, well, their culture is different. The time was different. It was so long ago. How, how can I make it relatable to my life today? Listen, we as people, we change. Civilizations change. Cultures change. But the Lord does not change. Right? And so, what the Lord does in the Old Testament, he does in the New Testament, and he does now. So, we can learn, we can go back and look at. What, he's, what he does, how he does it, and uh, we can see how he does it today for us as well. And that's what I want to do for us. So there are two things that I want to point out when I talk about the Lord saving. Uh, the first thing is that in this passage, we see that the Lord saves by his spirit. And then the second thing we're going to talk about is how the Lord saves through his might. Right. So those are the two things that we're going to talk about. And then there is a conclusion that will wrap up everything. But let's talk about the first, the Lord saves by his spirit. One thing I can't help but wonder is that if this situation was left in human hands, you know, we wouldn't have a story to talk about today, or it would look much, much different. If this situation was left in the hands of Saul or Jonathan by himself, they would, they would have been defeated. And I think we all would acknowledge that. Israel would have been completely doomed. See, without the working of God's spirit, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they would not have been so bold or effective in their fight. I'm, I'm convinced of that. I, I notice that in my own life, too. Like, if I look at my own life, and I hope you share this opinion, but I look at my own life and I see where I'm at, and it's like, I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the Lord. Because there's no way that, that I could put things together like this, right? And, and I hope you have the same feeling about your own life, because we always... Focus on the opportunities we missed, but we should focus on the opportunities God has given us, right? And, and what we were able to overcome, not by our own strength, but by what God has done through us. So I, I see this, and I'm like, if this was uh, left in human hands, Israel would have been completely uh, obliterated by the Philistines. Well, to begin with, we are told in verses 1 through 3 of our, of our uh, verse, of our passage, that Saul was doing what Saul does best. He was hiding. Verses 1 through 3. Remember when he became, when he was chosen to be king, he went and hid in the baggage. And then when the Philistines attacked, all his people that were following him, they followed his lead. They ran and hid in any kind of hole they could put their bodies into. And then here, we're seeing that Saul's in a cave. He's, he's hiding. There's only 600 men left with them, and uh, he's, he's in there, hiding at the moment so everything just can just pass him by. We tend to do this sometimes we things seem too big for us the moment seems too big the the uh, you know whatever it is uh, it, it, we just want to run and hide and wait for everything to clear out for the stress to be gone for the pain to be gone and then we come out and we're like okay everything's better but our things really better. Did we grow any through that situation in hiding from our problems? See, and that's what Saul is doing here. He's hiding in a cave. And we've come to expect this from Saul. But what's interesting here is who Saul is hiding with. Uh, Let's look at verses 2 and 3 again so that we can see who he's in that cave with. Um, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. We talked about that already, uh, including Ahijah. That's an important name. The son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh. And by the way, he was the priest because he was wearing an ephod. So we get a glimpse of who Saul is hiding with. He's in a cave and he is hiding with Ahijah. Well, who is Ahijah. Well, the Bible tells you Ahijah was a descendant of the rejected priestly household of Eli. We read about that earlier in 1 Samuel. The Lord rejected that household, took away that from them. So here is here is Saul. I think it's fitting that Saul is taking spiritual advice from Ahijah because now Saul is the rejected king of Israel. Just happened in chapter 13. Samuel came to Saul and said, you have acted foolishly. What have you done? You've acted foolishly. The kingdom that God has given you now has been taken away from you. And it's going to be given to somebody else who wants to do the will of God. A man after God's own heart. Right. So now we see Ahijah who comes from the, house of, the household of Eli, rejected the rejected priesthood. And then we see the king who has been rejected by God. Why? Because they both disobeyed the Lord. They were both foolish. They did not want to do the will of God. They wanted to do what was good in their own heart or what they saw was good in their own heart. So I think that's very interesting. These two are causing trouble for Israel through their foolish leadership. Now, when I was studying, I had to stop right there and I had to think about this. And I think we can all relate to this. That's the way I feel about our own government leadership at times. I, I truly, truly do, and, and I, I'm not just speaking about who's in office now, I'm talking about every rotation that we have, every two years for the Senate and the House, and then every four years for the presidency. I don't care if it's Republican or if it's Democrat or if it's independent, we've had foolish leaders. And what I mean by that is, I, I, I don't mean not intelligent because he's been, Are very intelligent. These women are very intelligent. They've gone to the best schools. They're brilliant minds. But it seems that they do not care what the Lord says. So in that situation, in that instance, they are foolish minds. They are ungodly minds. So much of our troubles are caused by foolish, ungodly leadership that are present in those offices. But listen, I thank the Lord. I think the Lord that our hope is not found in those men and those women. I thank the Lord for that because if our hope was found in them, we would be crushed. We would be disappointed. We would be scared right now. But we're not. Why? Because Christ is king. He is today and he always will be. But anyway, to get back to the main topic we see that God raises up Jonathan and his armor bearer, and I can't help but think the difference between Jonathan and his armor bearer and Saul and Ahijah. You have this rejected king and this rejected priest, and then on this other hand, uh, you have these two bold men, right? You have two foolish men, you have two bold men. Well, what are the difference between the two? We'll, we'll look at that. God raises up Jonathan and his armor bearer to do something during the chaos. Everybody's hiding in a cave. Somebody has to start something. Someone has to get out there and do something or else everybody is going to be doomed. Jonathan looks over and senses an opportunity to overtake a garrison of the Philistines. We see that the garrison is about 20 men. That's a start. That's a start. But think about That's like like going and and you're saying, I'm going to move this mountain and starting off with a little pebble. right? This mountain is the, the Philistine army. How much they had on their side. You're going to take care of 20 men. That's like grabbing a little pebble and throwing it out of the way. And then you're looking at the mountain and it's like, wow, I still have that much more to overcome. But that's a start. See, we know that it was the Lord's spirit at work. Because it just doesn't make humanly sense for them to go and do this. It, it, it doesn't. There's no way that Jonathan and his armor bearer look across and see the Philistine army pick out 20 men and say, we're going to start there. And then we're going to kill the multitude after that. Right? It's, a, it, it's the spirit of the Lord at work in them to start something. I don't know about you, but it's, it, that's a very scary moment. When the Spirit of the Lord compels you to do something, you know you're not capable of doing. You know that there's a great, great percentage that there will not be success. But yet, you cannot stop from doing it. Well, see, the Lord saves by his Spirit. When we look at Jonathan and his armor bearer, they find a valley that they can travel through. And uh, the plan is to have a sneak attack against this garrison. Now the only problem is the valley is a difficult path. This would not be just a stroll through a clear path. This would be climbing rocks. This would be a very, very hard path to go through. Thorns and thickets and all kinds of just different things that you would have to climb through in order to get to where you needed to go. But they would be unseen. Why? Because of the cliffs. The cliffs would hide them from their enemy. Now. As they travel through this, as they climb through all this mess and they go down this difficult path, they get to their spot. And Jonathan said to the young man, to the armor bearer who was carrying his armor, he says this in verse 6. He says, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now listen very carefully. He says, and may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. I'm sorry, but that's the Lord. There is there's, there's no way any of us have that kind of courage and uh, understanding and that kind of faith. That, that's, that's the Lord. So they, they climb through this difficult path. They get to the spot. They see the garrison. They know that is the small pebble, the mountain that needs to be moved. And, um, and Jonathan, that's his response. What I Love about it is that there is no guarantee of victory for Jonathan. I really hate some of the way people express um, their theology today. It, it's difficult, especially when that theology is man-centric, and it, and people are commanding God to do something by His name. It's like you have to do this. I I, I own you, and I'm using the name of Jesus Christ for you to move in my life right now. It's like, wow, truly do not understand what you are doing. Right? Because at that point, it's like, it's all about me. It's man-centric. It's not about God. It's not theocentric. It's, it's man-centric. So it's just, you have to do what I want you to do. And if you do not do what I want you to do, then you're not living up to your part of the bargain. But Jonathan didn't say that. He didn't tell his armor bearer, you know what? Don't speak that. Don't receive that. Uh, No matter what we do, the Lord owes us this. He is going to to give us this victory. No, what does he say? He turns around and tells his, his armor bearer, it may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be. As far as words of encouragement, I don't know if that's pretty encouraging if you're the armor bearer, right? You see these movies and these dramas and it's like this speech, right? And it gets everybody pumped up. That would not be a speech that gets everybody pumped up. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But Jonathan says this, but I know for certain nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many Or by few. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. We may die here and no one even knows about it because we didn't even tell anybody we were coming over here. We may die here tonight. May be a lost cause. Israel might be doomed anyway. I have no idea what the Lord's going to do. But I know the Lord that I serve. Man, that's an awesome testimony. I love how in his heart, he was following the faith that was given to him. He understood the odds were against him, but he remembered that he had the Lord. To me, that's very admirable. I'm reminded of times where I I failed in remembering that I had the Lord. I gave up. You know, years ago. For those of you who have been here for a very long time, you, you know Alicia and I, our story. You see us with a bunch of kids here today, and praise the Lord for that, but that, that wasn't always the case. Uh, Alicia and I got married very, very young, year 2000, and as soon as we were married, we wanted kids. I, I wanted a large family. I've always wanted five kids. The Lord was, he, he, he blessed us with five children. One is in heaven with him, but we have five children. And the wonderful thing about that is that when we were when we were married, we were without kids for seven years. We prayed. We went through a lot of different things. We were told by doctors it just wasn't going to happen for us. And we believed and we believed and we believed and we believe and mind you, we didn't have good theology at the time. Because I was blaming God a lot. Hey, I serve you, Lord. Hey, I do things for you. I do this. I do that. I, I'm an upright person. I look back at that person. That person was foolish. That person had a men centric or man centric theology back then. Right. But you go through all this stuff and, and, and the Lord, it takes seven years. It actually takes six years. And somewhere around the sixth year, we had just given up. we were just like, OK, we're just going to accept this lot in life. Maybe we'll adopt and you know, we'll serve the Lord and we'll move on. And then this happens, right? All this happens. And it's one by one by one. Each child, each child was a blessing from the Lord. And each child was when we least expected it. In fact, it's very funny because when we, we gave up, we, uh, we ended up buying a house. We bought a new car. And uh, that's when Jonah came. It's <laughs> Funny how the Lord teaches you lessons. We, we had already given up, but the Lord showed us he was still there. In the midst of the chaos, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm still present. I haven't left you, I haven't forgotten you. And he's not going to. That is one of the many reminders that helps me to get through the chaos, that helps me to get through the tough days. The Lord has been faithful. He has shown to not leave us nor forsake us. I don't know what's going to happen. Just like Jonathan, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know how the Lord's going to move, but I know the Lord. And I think that's something that we need to focus on, too. How many of us have given up so easily when the odds are not in our favor? We must not forget that we, too, have the Lord. And he is able to save by many or by few. Also, I think here when we're talking about how the Lord saves through his spirit, it's important that we realize that the Lord's spirit works in his vessels. Some are made for honorable use and some are for dishonorable use. But either way, the Lord's spirit is working. See, the Lord in either situation, the Lord is glorified and we are taken care of. We go back to the purpose of why the Lord saves for his glory and the betterment of his people. Let's take a look at these two Saul and Elijah, uh, Ahijah. As I said before, they're hiding in a cave. But Jonathan and the armor bearer, they're out there fighting for the Lord. Which vessel would you want to be? Now, before you answer that question, because you know the ending, it's, that's easy, but think about this. I want you to think about this. Saul and Ahijah, they're in a safe place, right? They're in a safe place. They're hiding, but they think they're in a safe place. But judgment from the Lord is coming their way. It's so funny that we can put ourselves like like we forget about the providence of God sometimes. We're like, oh, no, no. My safety is the most important thing for me. I am going to hide until everything passes me by. Uh, I'm going to hide and make sure I survive. But then the Lord comes and shows us, you are not the author and finisher of life. I am. Right? We can try to preserve ourselves as long as we can, and in the end, we're going to see that it is the Lord who determines when we were born and when we're going to die. So Saul and Ahijah are hiding in a cave trying to be in a safe place, but judgment is coming for them. But then on the other side, you look at Jonathan and the armor bearer, and they're in a dangerous situation. I'm convinced that none of us would be like, okay, yeah, sign me up for that. But if you look at their situation, help from the Lord is coming. So you have Saul and Ahijah hiding in a cave, but the judgment of the Lord is coming for them, And then on the other side, you have Jonathan and the armor bearer who are out fighting in this dangerous situation, but help from the Lord is coming. See, what this teaches us is that being used by God as a vessel for honorable use, it seems crazy sometimes. You're like, what in the world is going on? I am a child of God I I am part of the royal priesthood. I I live in the spiritual castle. This is not supposed to happen to me. That's the wrong attitude to have. Because being used for honorable use is a crazy, crazy thing sometimes. Because think about it. God is using you as a vessel so that he gets the glory and his people are taken care of. There is nothing in there that says you're going to get what you're looking for or what you're wanting. It doesn't even say you're going to enjoy it. You're just being used as a vessel for his glory and the good of his people. See, when we look at that, to me, it changes our perspective. There are so many people that are hiding, they're in a safe place. They think I'm preserving my life. I'm giving myself more time. I'm not exerting everything. I'm not serving the Lord as much as I can because, well, I, you know, that, if you put too much stress on your life, that, that ends up cutting years off your life or whatever it is. It's self-preservation. So you're in this safe place, but you're getting nothing done. See, we have to make the choice. And accept the fact that we are vessels. What does a vessel do? It carries stuff. What what happens to a vessel? It gets banged up. It goes out in the elements. It's damaged. But we still have the Lord. The Lord is accomplishing His will through our lives. We are his vessels. His spirit is at work in us. Again, what do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? If you're saying, I want to be Saul and I want to be the armor bearer. Well, buckle up, get ready. Because it shouldn't be easy. Now, you can't be there and say, I want to be Saul and the armor bearer and then go run and hide again can't do that. Because it's very easy to say, oh, I want to be that person. When, when we watch a really good movie and we see the hero in that movie and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just like that person. Yeah, man, me, him and I, we're just alike. Yeah. And then some real life situation comes along and you find out you're not like that person. See, being used by God as a vessel for honorable use, it, it does seem crazy. It's hard to make sense of what the Lord is doing in your life because you have this battle of I don't want to do this, but I, I feel like I need to. I, I just it's, it's just the Lord compelling you. I don't want to do this or I hate this or whatever it is. It, it's you. It's the flesh and the spirit fighting over the will of God. Right. It's what you want to do, it, but you don't want to do it. So it's, it's really crazy sometimes and it will test your faith. There will be unbelief. You will have struggle, but listen. The Lord will give you faith. Don't don't think that Jonathan and the armor bearer looked at that army and said, "Oh, we're going to be fine." I think when Jonathan said that to his armor bearer, I think there was fear in his in his voice. He didn't understand fully what he was what he was saying, or what he was doing. He probably hated it. He's like, "This is please talk me out of this." But the armor bearer wasn't any help because. The Spirit of the Lord was working in him too. He's like, no, whatever you want to do, I'm following you. Like, dude, come on, give me a break. Talk me out of this so that we don't die here. In those situations, this must be our prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Not your will, or excuse me, not my will, but your will be done. Secondly, the Lord saves by his great might. See, a deeper view view into the situation also reveals that the Lord saves the Israelites by uh, his great power. And and, and nothing else. Remember that the Israelites only had 600 men. That was it. After everybody deserted them, they had 600 men. And uh, they were facing a Philistine uh, uh, army that had... 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and then the Bible says troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. So, that against 600. Now, out of those, or excuse me, six was it 600 or 6,000? 6, 600, yes. Out of those 600 men, only two were brave and crazy enough to start the fight with the Philistines. Now, You look at that, you're like, okay, well, God can do a lot with, you know, with with a few. And that's what the passage says. But even the strategy, even the strategy was subpar. Look at verses eight through 10. This is hilarious to me. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. Two against 20. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to like it's a surprise attack, kind of. We're going to show ourselves to them. Now, if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. Uh, that's, that's, that's funny because realize what's next after that? What happens? There, he's like, if they, if they say we will come to you, Jonathan's like, we're just going to stand still. We're not going to run. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to stand. What he's saying is that we're going to accept our faith. We're going to accept our faith. We're going to accept the fact that this was for naught. If they come to us, there's 20 of them, there's two of us. We're going to lay down our weapons and they're going to kill us. All right, so verse 10. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. That is the plan. You know what that reminds me of? When I was eight years old and we're playing football in the backyard and, and the biggest kid, you know, of the group says, okay, come here, I have a play. And they put out their hand like this, and they're like, you, you're right here. You, you're right here, and you, you're right here. I'm going to say hut. You're going to take five steps, and you're going to go that way. You're going to take ten steps. You're going to go straight. And you, you're going to take five steps, and you're going to go to the right. And, and Ricky, because you can't run that fast, you're going to block everybody. Okay. That's what that reminds me of. It's like, okay, there's really no plan. This is like kind of organized chaos, if you will. That's what that reminds me of. It's like there there is no strategy here. You have 600 men and no strategy. There's a question that I have when I read that. Why is it that the odds were so greatly much in favor of the Philistines? What is going on here? This doesn't, this doesn't look like... This looks Hollywood. This looks fake. But it's the word of God. It, it actually happened. It's true. But why would God do this? Why would God just not raise up a huge army and then just go... A, a, an army bigger than the Philistine army and just go and defeat them? Well, so that no one else gets the glory. Look at your own life. Why is your life so hectic? Why, why are... The odds so much against you so many times. Why do you have so much trouble? Why can't it be easy? Have you ever wondered, man, you know, if you have if you've ever had money problems, have you ever wondered why doesn't the Lord just make me a millionaire? I mean, it'd be easy for him. Right? I mean, just boom, you're 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 done. It's there. But where would your faith be? Not in the Lord. It's so that he receives the glory for the victory. This looks crazy. But in this, we're going to see the hand of God move. In the same way that God saved sinners from their impending doom by grace through faith, his great might was at work to save the Israelites from the Philistines. I'm reminded of of Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's, he's like, how in the world how, how can I come to salvation by myself? I, I can't do this. I, I can't live up to God's standard. I can't be perfect. I'm a man that's full of sin. Who's going to save me from this body of death? And then he makes a proclamation, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's not only true in salvation, that's true in Everything in life. Jonathan and the armor bearers showed themselves to the Philistines. And they were mocked and they were invited over. That was the sign. Remember the plan? That was the plan that Jonathan was waiting for. And then from then on, we see that the Lord took completely over that situation. It says that Jonathan began to cut down the Philistines and again this is 20 men that they're facing but yet they have these the multitude behind them at some point. But he goes down and he he cuts these 20 men and these 20 men down. The armor bearer who's with, who's with them, man as they're hitting the ground, he's finishing them off. It's it's just like this crazy battle scene. Then all of a sudden it, this this noise, this battle that is happening, it begins to echo in the camp of the Philistines. And then panic ensued in the camp of the Philistines. Um, And then the Bible tells us that the ground began to quake. What is that? That That is uh, exemplifying God's power. Remember when Christ rose from the grave, the ground shook. And and many times in the Old Testament, when God was showing his power, the ground shook. So what we're seeing here is that we're seeing his great might. We're seeing his, his spirit at work. And so you have all these things taking place. The Philistines were terrified. They were terrified. They were so scared and they were so confused that the Bible says that they turned their swords against each other. They just began, just like swinging. Just swinging their swords at each other. They didn't know what was happening This all started with Jonathan and the armor bearer saying, we feel compelled to go and do something. Then watchmen from the Israelite camp saw the confusion. Remember, because they were only a few miles away. They informed Saul, but Saul was still faithless. He knew his son was out there. The, The scripture tells us that they already recognized that Jonathan and the armor bearer were gone. So... He knew his son was out there, but he wanted to talk it over with Ahijah first. He's like, oh, wait a second, what's happening? I know Jonathan and the armor bearer are out there, but Ahijah, come over. What, what, what should we do? The Spirit of the Lord worked in Saul, and he gained enough confidence to charge. And then all the other men who had deserted the Israelites, they came back. They heard the battle they started to wonder like what's going on here it doesn't look like we're losing sounds like we're winning so the bible says they start to come back and then they charge too. and then there was some within the camp of the philistines who had already started fighting with saul and jonathan it was it was crazy then we see that eventually the philistines retreated and israel won the battle When I look at that passage, I say this, look at what the Lord did. All the men were fearful, but he moved in their hearts. Well, it started off with him moving in the hearts of two men. So all the men were fearful, but two men weren't. The Lord gave them faith. The Lord gave them uh, the ability to get up and go and fight for him. The Israelite leaders were lacking. So what did he do? He took over himself. The Israelites were severely outnumbered. So what did the Lord do? He caused their enemy to be fearful and confused that they began fighting each other and killing each other. The Israelites had no weapons. So what did he do? Well, the Lord made it possible for them to take their enemies weapons as they killed them and they eventually defeated them with their own weapons. What does that teach us? Nothing is impossible for God. So this is the conclusion There's a verse in there that really struck me. The Lord saves by many or by few. That's part of Jonathan's proclamation right before they attack, right? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that the Lord saves by many or by few. Listen, we face situations that seem hopeless. We deal with sin, sickness, loss of life, relationship problems, unemployment. It goes on and on and on. These things are brought on either by our own foolishness or the foolishness of others. When we rebel against God, we know that all trouble is caused by sin, which is foolishness. In either case, we must know in our hearts that no matter how bad the situation looks to be, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. We must recognize that. So whatever it is that you're facing today or someone that you love is facing today. And their trust is in Christ. Know that they're going to be taken care of. Just know that if we are the people we follow are lacking, we must know that his spirit never lacks. It's frustrating because you're, you're trying to do your best. You think you are doing your best. Maybe you know you're not doing your best. Maybe you're frustrated with that. Maybe you're frustrated that you have an inadequate leader leading you and you see the foolish decisions that he or she is making. Listen, don't put all your confidence in that person. Yeah, you're going to struggle, but you're going to struggle anyway. Following that leader or another leader, your confidence must be in the Lord. It must be in Him. See, things are not accomplished according to our wills, but His. Not our power, but His. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We must recognize that the Lord is in charge. And if we're in this chaotic situation in our lives, it's because he's going to get the glory and his people are going to benefit from that. And if we're part of those people who benefit, then praise God for that. We're the vessel. God doesn't owe us anything. See, we must trust that God will raise up faithful servants to accomplish his will. These servants will be like Jonathan and his armor bearer. They will be given faith in place of fear and peace in the place of uncertainty. The Lord will do this through those he has created for himself. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work. By the way, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We must know that nothing is greater than God. No one can stand against his great might. And if he is for us, then who shall stand against us? We must know that although the things that We can't accomplish the things that man cannot do. We can't do them because they're impossible for us, but nothing is impossible for him. So the message here is, number one, don't give up on yourself. And number two, don't give up on someone else. Because the Lord is able. Always, he is able. No matter how chaotic or intimidating a situation seems, We must remember that the Lord brings order to chaos. If we have his glory in mind, it may be that the Lord will work for us. But even if he does not work for us, like in a situation where the desired outcome doesn't happen, we know that the Lord is capable of saving by many or by few. We know that. See, things may not work out the way we want them to or expect them to. But the Lord has promised he will work for his glory and for our good. The Lord has already saved you from the penalty of death. Now as you leave this place, think about that. That was your greatest need. He has already done that for you. He's already fulfilled your greatest need for you. That was the one thing that you just could not do. Like, you know how we always say, well, there's always a chance. No, there was never a chance for you to save yourself. Not even point zero, 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 one percent. Not even that. There was not a chance for you to do it. And the Lord saved you. Now think about that. As you leave this place, How much more will he save you from your circumstances as you live? Let's pray.